Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, we are three clinical psychologists who love to talk about psychology. We are Diana Hill, Ray Littlewood, and Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. You can find us online at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com. P-S-Y-C-H.com. And on our webpage, you'll find some information, resources that we mention in this episode, and other podcasts that we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, this is Debbie. On today's episode, Diana and I are going to be talking about this Danish concept I've been learning about lately. It's called, okay, here it goes. Hygge, something like that. Anyway, it's spelled H-Y-G-G-E, and it's this Danish practice of coziness, warmth, connection, and slowing down to savor the moment. So if you could just picture candles, wool blankets, maybe a glass of red wine or a cup of tea, and your closest friends, I think you get the general idea. Um, We're also going to be talking about some research about happiness and well-being, And we're going to talk about why maybe we Americans could learn a thing or two about slowing down from our friends in Denmark. Good morning. Good morning. Um, So I'm Debbie Sorensen, and I'm joined this morning by Diana Hill. And today we are going to be talking about something um, that I got kind of curious about, but then I, I started to delve into it and got more and more curious about it, and I thought, this might be kind of interesting to talk about on a podcast, and it's a sort of cultural phenomenon in Denmark um, called, okay, I'm going to totally say this wrong, but it's hygge, hygge. Um, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, so was, I was reading it in your emails, and I couldn't quite, I was like, is it hoisy? Is it yeah. hygge? So, <laughs> so it's good. Okay. It's good. spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Um, which apparently it's either, I've kind of been trying to figure this out, but it's either Higa or Huga. So anyway, but, so I'm going to just kind of start, I think, talking a little bit about this, because the more I got into it, I thought, this is really kind of an interesting cultural thing, but it's also tied to this idea of, um, kind of just contentment and well-being, and so I thought, well, that's, this is sort of relevant to what we talk about here, um, on this podcast. So, um, I, but before I kind of delve into what is Higa, I wanted to start by just talking a little bit about some interesting research related to um, Denmark. And it's really about 
basically like cross-cultural comparisons of happiness levels and well-being. And there's just been this kind of finding over the course of many years and a whole bunch of different studies if you compare different cultures that Denmark is consistently rated one of the happiest countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has kind of been a, a trend that's been going on for a while. Um, but recently the UN has started putting out this world happiness report every year. And since it came out in 2012, Denmark has been rated as the happiest country in the world um, three times. Wow. And it's always like in the top few. And some of the other Scandinavian countries are also rated really high. And so my thought, of course, as a psychologist who, like, is aware of the limitations of this kind of research, I'm thinking, well, how how are they measuring happiness across cultures? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, And I'm, of course, a little skeptical about this. Um, And I think rightfully so, because a lot of times what they do, they do some, of course, subjective self-report measures in some of the studies. But in the the UN uh, happiness report, they look at things like, social support, GDP per capita, um, like sort of how much freedom people have to make choices, how much basically like trust they have in the culture and generosity and that kind of thing. So it's interesting to me because it's, you know, it's a proxy for happiness, but I, I don't know. I'm just thinking, how do you measure, you know, which country is happier overall than another country? Mm-hmm. It's a kind of a complicated thing. Um, mm-hmm. But we do know a few things about Denmark that might contribute to this. So, for instance, they have, like, a really pretty amazing work-life balance, which is yeah. very different from what we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I'm reading about this, I find out that they work – the average um, sort of work week is about 35 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. normal to just sort of leave, you know – kind of in the late afternoon and not check email at night, not work on weekends. People, um, you know, it's not like a stigma to do that in Denmark, apparently. Um, And by the way, I should say, I've never been to Denmark, but I am half Mm. Danish, my heritage. Oh, you are. (laughs) Danish-American. So you have an investment in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little curiosity. The link here. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least some sort of identity. Oh, really? Yeah, well. For the most I, part, I would say. I have a, I have a question, Deb. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a friend who's Danish, and she's quite happy, and actually someone that I just, um, when I think of her, I think of just, like, good, warm, fuzzy feelings. Mm-hmm. And she rides her bike. She lives, she lives sort of downtown. She rides her bike everywhere. And she goes and she picks up her son on her bike, and then her, her son rides his bike, and they, they ride around town. And she says that that's what... Where she's from, they do a lot of bike riding. Like, everything is on bikes. Did you read anything about that? I did, or, uh, yeah. Or, yeah. So that came up quite a lot in the research. That it's um, So Copenhagen is sort of known for, like, bikes everywhere. A lot of people commute yeah. to work on their bikes. And so people, that might be one of the factors here. And that's one of the things sure. I thought as I'm reading this is um, that, yeah, people are sort of outside a lot, physically active, riding their bikes everywhere. Even in the rain, they'll just sort of mm-hmm. put on a, you know, I don't know, rain jacket and just go to work in the rain um, on their Mm -hmm. bike. So, yeah, so that certainly could be because we definitely know from other research that obviously exercise is really important for people, just general sense of Mm well-being. They also have a lot of – they have really, really high taxes, um, like exorbitantly Mm -hmm. high. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But they also have a lot of, uh, you know, benefits. So, for instance, a lot of paid vacation, really generous maternity leave and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, a lot of free education. Um, and one thing that's really, I think, an important piece of the culture and that's something that I think in Denmark is really emphasized culturally is that there's more of an egalitarian approach. Like, there's a smaller difference between the sort of wealthy um, class and, you know, the um, less wealthy class. Like, there, you know, in the United States, obviously, we have a big disparity there. And in Denmark, not so much. Like, there's not as much extreme wealth, but there's also not as much extreme poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's interesting. And I think one thing that's interesting about this, you know, happiness uh, research is that, Denmark has terrible weather. It's, like, cold, dark mm. all winter. It's, like, really rainy. Um, in the winter time, it gets very, very cold and just sort of damp. And um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, a lot of people get sort of depressed in that environment. So, sure. Yeah, so it's sort of an interesting little finding. You know, and whether you take that research with a grain of salt or not, I think there is something mm-hmm. to be said that the quality of life there is, there's something different about it than here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's sort of an interesting, I thought it might be kind of an interesting little cultural study um, for us to talk about. Um, and so where does, where does this Haiji, or what's it, what's it again? Hoji? Hoji. 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 So one thing I kept reading about, and this is actually how I got interested in this, is that one of my friends, my friend Stacy, started, um, she posted something on Facebook about Hoji. And mm-hmm. so we, I started talking to her about it, and then I started reading about it. I'm like, okay, this is really sort of a interesting, pleasant little idea. So this is, like, a really important part of Danish culture, and apparently it's kind of like an obsession there. Like, people talk about this all the time, mm. and it's this huge thing. And now, all of a sudden, it's spreading. So as I'm looking, there's all these books coming out about it and articles in the news. And so it's all of a sudden, it's, like, this thing. Um, but basically, hookah is something, there's not like an exact English translation of what this means, but the co- the closest thing is coziness, mm-hmm. but it's not just coziness, simply coziness the way we would think of it. It's also kind of a felt sense, like a feeling of um, really kind of like togetherness and contentment. Mm-hmm. It's this sort of calm peaceful state that they create and and they kind of go to effort to create this state Mm -hmm. um so it's really about kind of slowing down and being present and usually it's about having just sort of this warm relaxing time with people that you care about so like family close friends um although some people think that that you something else like sitting down with a cup of tea and a book in front of the fire by yourself would also be huga. Mm-hmm. Um, but but a big piece of it is just this sort of camaraderie of having like a pleasant, enjoyable time with the people you care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really make a big deal there about trying to capture this. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different contexts and ways that they do this. So one might be just at home with, you know, candles glowing. So candles are really important in this. I don't think candles quite explain the whole thing, but the lighting seems mm-hmm. to matter. They want kind of like a warm, dim light. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll have like wine or tea mm-hmm. and maybe a little homemade cake or pastry or something like that, or sitting down for coffee with a friend or something like that. Well, the the candles part actually makes me think about in this warm, dim lighting in terms of 
all the research coming out now on light um, pollution mm-hmm. and this evening light exposure that we're um, chronically getting through like our devices, through lights being on, through, gosh, you walk down my hall and my um, heater light on the wall is like blue light yeah. and how that disrupts our circadian rhythms and actually impacts our sleep and all of that. So it actually, I'm wondering about this, you know, cold, dark environment that you're not like blasting yourself with like the max door fluorescent lighting, but you're actually just sort of moving with that. Like you're right. getting music and having candles and, um, Anyways, it just it, that just sort of made me think. There's something important about I think candle lights or fi- or firelight. It feels when we have that, there's something soothing about that sort of dim yellow uh, glow. That mm-hmm. I mean, we're if you think about us in terms of evolution science, it's like fire. Like that's like right. our old <laughs> like it's an old primitive way that 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 feels really good to to be around. We're all drawn to fire. Definitely. Um, and so that's that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you mention it because my family we went camping last weekend and we uh, up in Colorado and we had such a nice time and we were sitting around, you know, my husband and I and our two little girls and kind of cuddling by the fire and you know, mesmerized by it and we I was had been reading about Huga that whole week mm-hmm. and I was like Oh, this is so hookah because it's just that yeah. nice glow, and you're just all mm-hmm. warm from the fire. Um, yeah, yeah. We uh, we actually we just switched out. Um, my son at night he uses a like an itsy bitsy book light when he can't sleep or when he's falling asleep to read, and it's this LED like bright thing. He like shine it in your eye, like you know, it's like shocks. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we just switched it out for like a non blue light, like this low glow. And so now at nighttime, when we're making a real effort to, like, dim the lights as the evening goes on. And so at nighttime, when we go and read stories with him, we turn on this, like, low glow. Um, I could get – I could we could put in the show notes the name of the product. But it's, like, a low, low light um, um, little book light. And we lie there with our legs up the wall and read in this, like, kind of dark, cozy environment. And it feels so different. Mm-hmm. It feels really different than, like, the blasting – LEDs that are like everywhere. So it's interesting, like that. There's yeah. ways to even tend to the modern world. Maybe we can't have fires or put candles in our kids' room. <laughs> Not super safe. We actually we we did candles on the dinner table for quite a while, and it was like it was such a risk factor. I couldn't handle it because the kids want to put their fingers in the wax and like hold the candles and blow out the candles, and their hair is like in the candles. It was like I can't, I can't do can't. I mean, we got to figure out. Had the candles safer. <laughs> no, but I, and I think that this points to a really important cultural difference between Denmark and the United States. That some of this stuff sounds really good in theory, but it's very difficult to translate into yeah. our culture. And I think that the candles are a good example of that because I think I grew up learning to be super paranoid about have just like leaving candles around all the time. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. a few kind of near misses where one kind of like um, basically like I, I don't know. I had a, I had a issue where a candle almost caught my house on fire once. Right. So, yeah. um, something that I read said that it's funny because as in the United States, we aren't, we're, that sort of like scares us. And right. there's certain right. ways beyond that, I think, where this is a hard concept to translate into the United States. Mm-hmm. More about that later because I actually right. have a few, um, I guess I would say sort of critiques about this con concept. I mean, I hate to be uh, too critical of something that's so lovely, but um, you know, I kind of wonder about that. If, if 
Americans are getting interested in this concept and kind of thinking, oh, it would be nice if we slowed down more and had more of these cozy moments. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Um, but I think there's so many cultural differences that it's a little hard right. to translate some of this. Um, right. In our, in our American way, we always want to sort of extract the pieces. It's like yeah. sort of like supplements. Yeah. It's like you extract the vitamins, and if you just ate the kale, you'd be better off than right. extracting the vitamins. And yeah. so there's something about that that could be not really hitting the mark. It's right. like, yeah. yeah, I mean, we could do hygge in this sort of competitive American, like, oh, that increases quality of life, so I'm going to set aside 30 minutes a day to do hygge. And right. there's something about that that's sort of so counter the very philosophy of it. Right. That, but right. that's definitely how Americans would approach such a thing. Like, oh, that's good for me, so I'm going to do it. That's how I Daily. You know, but another thing that you mentioned that I think is important is that that idea about screens, you know, and lighting. And part of, I think, part of this is putting down the technology and putting down the, you know, the iPads and the phones and the screens and just really connecting with people. And that is something that I think, you know, is hard to do in our society, that we're a very fast-paced society. I mean, for myself, a lot of times I wake up in the morning, you know, go, 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 go. I get the kids ready, I go to work, I come home, there's dinner, there's dishes, and just like between about 6 a.m. and 8 p.m., I don't really slow down much. Um, mm. And I even have a friend that I go get coffee with sometimes when I go into the office, but a lot of times we don't even like sit and drink our coffee together. We just kind of accompany each other to go get coffee, chat a little bit on the way, and then we go back <laughs> to our desks and we keep working Um because yeah. we're too busy and we just don't have the time to slow down. And that's very, right. you know, not, not hygge. Um And even I was reading, too, uh, um, in Sweden, they have this just afternoon coffee break that is just part of the culture. It's important. Mm-hmm. It's never kind of overlooked because people are too busy. They just stop once or twice a day. And they have a little coffee and they have a little pastry or something like that. And they discuss personal and professional issues with their coworkers. And it's just, it's a real break. And it's just sort mm-hmm. of a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Americans really do that. I mean, they just don't stop. Well, and I think that that not stopping and not slowing down has some significant downstream effects mm-hmm. because. I'll, a lot of times I'll, you know, a client will come in and they'll talk to me like I can't sleep, I can't turn myself off at night. Like, right, right. And then I start to do a little bit more assessment of like, what does your day look like? And it's, it's like you're describing and starting at 6 a.m. and then they're eating dinner with, you know, finally after the kids get back from soccer practice, eating dinner at 7, 8 o'clock at night. And then they're using wine to try and, like, get themselves to relax because mm-hmm. they've just been going, 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 going all day. And now I can't go to sleep. Right. And and it's like, well, wait a minute, maybe it's this is something that's happening. We have a whole circadian rhythm that, that moves in a, in a certain way. Like, we naturally, like, 4 o'clock, people talk about sort of, like, the slump that they get, right, at 4 o'clock. Probably that would be a time when we would need to slow down, take a rest, you know, be with right. a friend, yeah. chat, rather than go, that's when people go to Starbucks and get something right. to help them through their 4 o'clock slump. Which and is what I do. I have to yeah. sort of caffeine up to make it through the rest oh, of the day yeah. and have the energy to like, right. you know, it's, it's, yeah. And it's going. false. It's it's like it's it's a it's a it's a false energy, right? And I, you know, this one one of the practices that I've really been trying to develop in my um, in my practice is, is really sticking to the fifty minute hour and taking those ten minutes when I have that ten minute between clients. It used to be like I'm going to try and write my notes. Now what I'm trying to do is I get up. 
and I do a stretch or I do a, like a breathing exercise or I go outside and like, you know, want to like look, look at things, like look at greenery, look at, you know, nature, all of those to give my mind and body sort of a reset like every 50 minutes so that I can go back in and be a bit more refreshed and present mm-hmm. with my clients. And if we if we just keep on going and we just keep on pushing, there's there's at some point it's it's gonna hit us in some way. Yeah. We may notice it in our sleep. We may notice it like oh, instead of at four o'clock I'm getting a coffee. I'm at four o'clock I'm getting something to eat because I'm trying to you know manage my cortisol in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's really or or I'm gonna look on my phone, you know, yeah. as a way to escape. Yeah, and oh, sometimes yeah. I find myself. Um, well, I should, I should take a little more ownership. <laughs> Sometimes what I do is that I, uh, at the end of the day, to unwind, I'll get on my phone and I'll read my email and I'll read the news and I'll look at Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that is so kind of stimulating. It just mm-hmm. doesn't actually relax me at all, really. Right. But it's sort of mindless. It's similar to TV. You know, it's like kind of mindless and relaxing in a way, but it's also very stimulating. And it's just mm-hmm. not the same as like, you know, pouring a cup of tea and getting a good mm-hmm. book or you know, talking mm-hmm. to a person that you care about and kind mm-hmm. of lingering over, you know, a glass of red wine or something like that. It's just a mm-hmm. different, really different feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And and it doesn't really help me relax at all or kind of mm-hmm. wind down. It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm-hmm. keeps my it's, mind buzzing. It, you know, I, I think of like the phone is sort of like, it's like the, um, the artificial sweetener of our life in that in the same way an artificial sweetener has a quality of like non non nutrient, but it gives you the sweetness. So it's like you put it in your coffee and you get sweetness, but your body actually doesn't get any of the calories that that it's expecting. And so that same thing with our phones is like we're going to our phone for social connection, or we're going there to relax or unwind, but it's not really giving us a deep watering right. in the in what in what we're craving. Yeah. And it actually what it does is it does the same thing that artificial sweeteners do, which is it makes you want more of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now, now you just want to go back to it over and over again, but it's not really satisfying. Yeah. And when, when in that moment of like asking, what is it that I'm really wanting here? Am I wanting connection? I'm wanting to, you know, just give my mind a break. What would actually really um, do that in a more kind of deeper, yeah, deeper yeah. way? Yeah. Well, I think that's exactly right. It's like putting, making a choice to sort of put the phone down or the device down and be more present you know, kind of enjoying the moment, cozying in, connecting, um, kind of just just taking that time to really be present. And I, I think it's really related to this sense of mindfulness, that you're not just mm-hmm. going through the motions, this hookah concept. It's really a lot of it is about sort of being at, in this state of, like, mindfulness, peace, sort of calm, um, just warmth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I think that maybe Americans – we could learn a little something from that. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny. They, they talk a lot about space, and you may have heard a little bit about um, kind of Scandinavian design, and mm-hmm. they really like to have these sort of – it's not about excess. It's about mm-hmm. just sort of being in this small, harmonious space, um, like maybe, you know, not it, – it, it has a sort of egalitarian quality to it, too, mm-hmm. where it's not about sort of impressing people or expensive things or being mm-hmm. over the top. It's more about just sort of – minimalist kind of just simple keeping it simple. ikea 
Yeah, Ikea. yeah. There's this kind of, you know, like... When you go into Ikea, you just feel clean. Right. <laughs> Something about it. Just is these like sort of clean, clean spaces, yeah. Yes. But it's also harmonious in the personal sense. So one thing I read, in, and this is actually kind of one of the criticisms that I read about this concept, is that it's it's harmonious to so people. No, it's not about sort of grabbing attention or impressing people, but just sort of... So, so it would be very unhuga to kind of... Um, talk about your own achievements or bring up politics or anything that's going to be sort of controversial. It's much more um, just harmonious. And so some Mm -hmm. people have criticized that it actually kind of doesn't really allow people to maybe talk in a slightly deeper way, like to get into Mm -hmm. a spirited debate or to talk about something that's like a bit of a problem. So there's maybe some people think, and so I read a couple people, there's a guy who wrote a book called the almost nearly perfect people behind the myth of Scandinavian <laughs> utopia. Uh-huh. Um, and I also read, actually, a Danish anthropologist has written quite a lot about um, about Hugga. And it was very interesting because he really tied it to, like, social class and sort of bigger cultural themes in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that they say is that it, it sort of emphasizes, like, conformity, sort of this middle level, almost like, I don't know if I want to say this, but, like, mediocrity where it's kind of like mm-hmm. oh we're all the same no one's better than anybody else sounds very collectivist like very collectivist, collectivist culture uh-huh. absolutely absolutely and that you know that is nice for creating the sort of harmonious egalitarian um you know culture but it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily it has its disadvantages as well maybe people don't show more exuberant emotions Mm. Um, and this guy that wrote the book about kind of criticizing, so the Almost Nearly Perfect People book, which is pretty hilarious, by the way. I was, like, laughing out loud reading it. Um, but he says that, you know, that he doesn't really see the happiness level there being super high in this mm. um, kind of mm. emotional state kind of way. But it's more like this sort of contentment. The people mm-hmm. are just sort of content, but they're not necessarily, like, happy they're just right. sort of feeling this kind of content emotion a lot of the times right um, well it, it makes me think of in some of the happiness research that they're doing out of the greater good science center at berkeley and they talk about this idea of the hedonic treadmill and this psychological principle of going for something the striving that, that gives you that like exuberant happiness mm-hmm. that you're talking about but you kind of always go back to your baseline right? right so we have a bit of a happiness set point and that our happiness set point is about 40% genetic it's about the other 60% it's about 10% is due to um, environmental factors like how much money you have? Did something good happen for you this week? You know, like mm-hmm, things that mm-hmm. things that are in your environment that actually we're striving a lot for. But the other portion of it has more to do with this contentment, your ability, like gratitude. Gratitude is a huge piece in happiness research. If you if you're practicing daily gratitude, just writing in your journal at the end of the day five things you're grateful for, you're going to see a a change, a significant change in happiness over the course of just a couple of weeks. Um, And that is, gratitude is more about contentment than it Mm -hmm. is about that, like, woo, I'm so thrilled, like I had a huge bonus at work. Right. You know, gratitude is about, gosh, I am just so grateful that my feet didn't hurt at the end of today, (laughs) you know, (laughs) whatever it was. Like, I'm just so grateful for, like, the warm body in the bed next to me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, so yeah, I think there is this distinction, and we're often driven for more of the other kind of happiness, which is that, like, hedonic treadmill, going for something, striving for something. And some of the more contemplative practices, like the Eastern... Um, based practices have a whole sort of, in, in a lot of Eastern um, practices, striving and pride are seen as negative emotions mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. have. Like, you don't want to have a lot of pride and have a lot of striving. Those are things that create um, a lot of suffering. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Well, and certainly I think one thing about striving is that, and I think in, in the United States here, we tend to be big on striving, you know, that's just something that we're always sort of doing without even thinking about is like looking for the next promotion or the next thing or whatever. Um, The problem is that you're never going to be satisfied because Mm -hmm. there's always more to strive for and you're never going to reach this point where you're content with that. And, and from what I've been reading in uh, my, you know, when I was reading some sort of criticisms of this concept of Higa is that they, some people said, well, you know, part of the reason why Danish people report being just happier is that their expectations are sort of lower. They're sort of, but maybe that's good. Like they're kind of fine with the simple things. They're not constantly in the state of striving and then being, you know, disappointed. They finally reach whatever milestone and then they're disappointed by that. And then they're striving for something else. Right. Um, It's just, and I don't know which is better if you want to put it that way or which is worse, but it's a very kind of distinct, I think, cultural difference that in Mm -hmm. the United States, that's just ingrained. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely great. And, and when you think about I remember being in um, a graduate school and having this sort of experience of seeing that because I had been striving so much to get to college, right? And then I've been striving so much in college to get into graduate school. And then here I am in graduate school and I was making sort of, sort of the push was for, for us to go into academic, academia and to be researchers, right? At least in the type of the graduate school I was in. It was, that was that was what you should be doing. You shouldn't be a clinician. You should be a researcher and get to a university. And I would see that these professors who have, quote, made it, are now striving to get tenure, right? And then once they get tenure, and then it's, it's like they've got to maintain the publication. So they're striving to maintain these publications. And really the only time that you finally make it is like you're dead. Mm-hmm. So what are you striving for? <laughs> you know, like it's always the bar is always moved. As soon as you get there, it's always moved a little bit further. And so might as well start with where you're at and looking at what you have. And, and yeah, maybe, uh, you know, con- this idea that, oh, contentment would lead to mediocrity, is, it sounds like that's sort of the question or the criticism. But I actually don't think so. I think what, um, what being grateful for what you have and being what you, with what you had actually leads, leads to us caring more for the things caring more for things like our environment that we live mm-hmm. in or, you know, caring for what we have rather than striving for the next thing that's out in the future and neglecting what we have right here. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a big piece of this that I think we could learn something from no matter what. And that is just that when you're on that constant uh, treadmill, you never take the time to just stop and slow down and enjoy the moment. And, and that that's something that the Danes really do. Mm-hmm. emphasize and that I, I think that would wouldn't hurt us in our culture to do a bit more of that to just have those sort of casual moments where we're just sort of 
tuned in and and it's not that we never do them but I think that we don't really focus on that very much and mm-hmm. maybe sort of don't even really pay any attention to it when it does happen and um, I, I actually have a little bit of an example that of a way that since I've been reading about this that um, that I've put this into practice in my own life and I'm sort of curious to talk a little bit more about like okay as as you know, Americans who are on the treadmill and who power through, like, how can we learn something from this that would actually mm-hmm. increase our own well-being? Um, so my example, and this has really just been the last couple of weeks, but it's made a huge difference. So mornings are super hectic, mm. you know, especially in the morning, because I don't go into work every single day, but on the days that I go into work and uh. my daughter has to get to preschool, they're so hectic, and we mm-hmm. always end up just kind of, like, it's tense. Like, we're yeah. get dressed and we're in Where a are hurry. the shoes? Yeah. The shoes are always a problem. <laughs> the shoes are always missing. <laughs> but it's also, we get into these conflicts as a family because it's like, you know, get dressed. And then we hear, I don't want to go to school. And I, you know, and it's just this, um, there's just always this moment of everybody just kind of like losing it. And so mm-hmm. what I've been doing is just my preschool age daughter, who we have to get up, I just cuddle with her for a few minutes mm. in the morning and I talk to her and I don't make her just like jump out of bed and start getting dressed yeah. right away and if yeah. I notice that we're starting to go down that road of everybody like stressed out and kind of mm. you know, on yeah. each other's case I, I I'm like aware that she just needs a little moment um now I don't know if you'd technically say this is huga, but maybe but what I do is I just sort of cuddle with her and I talk to her and I just kind of tune in with her for just a couple mm-hmm. of minutes and then mm-hmm. I say okay now we need to do this and the tone is so different mm-hmm. I mean we're still mm-hmm. just as busy as we mm-hmm. were just like less stressful and I think that just sort of coming together and being together in the moment and sort of cozying in and like positive mm-hmm. attention it really helps mm-hmm. well, that it makes me think of that sort of the then the models of of our brain in terms of that we have the fight flight you know freeze component of our brain our amygdala and all that that gets activated in this morning and we're responding to our mornings as if it's like you know like the, the end all be all the most important thing like crisis right mm-hmm. school on time or whatever and that there's a whole nother system brain circuitry which is our soothing system and really driven by oxytocin and which is our bond our tend and befriend you mm-hmm. know neurotransmitter mm-hmm. hormone and that by just taking that moment to cozy up you're 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 creating oxytocin in your own because we get that through touch bonding closeness with with our children and she's getting that too mm-hmm. and it, it's like this soothing like of the whole chemistry that happens so that we're more content we're more centered we're activating more of sort of our frontal lobe which is more about social connection and you know ability to regulate emotion and all of that and we're getting out of that limbic hyperarousal that we are we are in a lot of our day in situations that we really shouldn't be in. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. we're responding to our day as if it is like there's a fire and there's a cougar after us and we're in like full-on threat. And that biological system in our bodies is really designed to be activated when it's helpful to be activated to save our lives. But in the modern world, we activate it 24-7. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I, mornings I, get, I see the same thing about, you know, in our house and it's, you know, moms get in the car. You know, kids are getting the car, and, and their little their little systems are just like 
going haywire too. Right, right. They're anxious about getting to school and they're feeling like they're going to be late. Right. But they're also detecting our reactions too. And when we're approaching it from this frantic, with this frantic energy, I think they're picking up on that and that that increases their stress. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's fall here and we are, um, you know, really ready to cozy in here in Denver, you know, mm-hmm. it's got, I actually love this time of year because of, I don't know, just the food and the fall colors and everything like that, and so to me, it's very natural to think about lighting a candle and getting out some mm-hmm. blankets and some tea and all that stuff, but you had a great question, because you're in a warmer climate, like, what... Yeah, I was I was actually talking to a friend of mine about, about this concept, we say it for you one more time, because I'm going to need to keep learning it. Huga. Okay. 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 I apologize to anyone who speaks Spanish. Yeah. I was talking to her about it, and um, and here we are in Santa Barbara, where it's pretty much seventy plus or minus ten degrees year round, and we just we try and wear the UGG boots. Like UGG boots, UGG is actually um, here in, in Santa Barbara, is where it's located. The company. Um, we try and do that. We try and put like the light scarf on over our sundress, <laughs> but it is warm all the time, having a fire, you'd be like sweating. And yeah, it's sort of this question of how do you get that cozy feeling when, when it doesn't get cold or when it, you know, and, and how could you generate that? I mean, without the, um, without the cozy blankets and, and fires and all of that. And so I, I guess, you know, some of the ways that I, that I kind of think about it is, and I think about my home is that there's we do have we have created cozy spots. So we have this sort of oak grove outside of our house, and in the oak grove we have a hammock from Ojo Caliente. Oh, remember yeah, right. our hammock? Oh, yes. And it's become like this really cozy spot for when we want to kind of escape. We get our books, our kids gather up books, and we all climb in and read stories in the hammock. And it is like. Being in the trees, hanging, swinging with a book and your children, it is about as heavenly as you can imagine. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, and to me, that that's exactly, I mean, that just captures the spirit of the thing, you know, that it's not, uh, it's not about the candles or the blankets or the cold weather. It's about the connection and kind of savoring the moment. And so that's a perfect example, you know, on a warm summer day, just cozying into your hammock with your kids. And mm-hmm. that or a warm winter day. Warm winter. Oh yeah, warm winter day for you. That's right. right. Such a foreign concept to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anything. I mean, going for a bike ride, an evening stroll, just meeting. You know, having coffee on the porch in the morning, meeting a friend. Um, you know, having a picnic or a barbecue, just anything like that. And so apparently in Denmark they also practice hygge in the summer as well. But it might be something like that, just having a little mm-hmm. get together, having your neighbors over, um, kind of spontaneously, or um, you know, just spending that time together as a family doing something enjoyable. I, and to me, the more I read about it, I think that there, you know, of course, everything gets lost in translation when you try to apply it in a new culture. But there might be an overemphasis on the warm blankets and the mold wine and yeah. the tea and the candles. And because really, truly, it's more of that feeling of connectedness and being in the moment. And mm-hmm. so I think there's so many different ways that you can capture that. Um, and absolutely, the the warm Santa Barbara weather, I'm sure, um, you know, there's plenty. Cozy might not be the word that comes to mind, but that that general quality is to yeah. be there. 
Yeah. There's, I think that there's also this common factor of having the space and time for it and prioritizing that yeah. because one of the things that starts to show up that I, that I see is, you know, as, as soon as my kids started kindergarten, it's like all of a sudden every single day of the week there has to be some activity, you know, like mm-hmm. soccer and then, you know, and part of this driving and keeping up with the Joneses starts at this very young age where it feels like, oh, I need to have my son in like, you know, something after school enrichment program every single day of the week while I'm pulling my hair out, driving all over the place, not connecting, not slowing down. And really making the choice, and what we've really made the choice in our family has been to not. And, yeah. Yeah. and like, you know what? He doesn't need to be learning French after school. The kid is seven, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> like yeah. He can just having the time to come home, play outdoors, unstructured, time for us to kind of connect and just lie together on the floor. Sometimes I'll do yoga and stretching while he kind of lies next to me and works on something, you know, some Lego project. That that's, um, that's really important. And I almost feel like in, in our, what I see in our household in terms of our happiness and our stress levels, those practices are, are essential for mm-hmm. us to not get into that fight-flight um, reactive mode with each other. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also teaching our children to not go from one thing to the next to one thing to the next to one thing to the next all day long, but to take time. To, to reset. And we do it when they're little. They have nap time. It's like it's already set in because their little bodies and their little rhythms are so built in to do that. But we kind of we kind of separate them from that natural rhythm once they start school and all these activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so listening to that more. Yeah, yeah. It's such a skill and so important to teach them absolutely that we can kind of role model that. And I think it's really important that we do. Because Mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, with kids, there's a million activities and there's always something to do. And we feel this pressure to kind of fill their day with these stimulating activities, which are fine, but you need to find a balance there. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lovely book that one of my friends recommended to me, and it's called Mitten Strings for God. Um, And Mm -hmm. so the title's a little, you know, doesn't quite... (laughs) The the title doesn't quite make sense for what the book is about because Mm -hmm. it's not really about... God or religion, but it's about um, sort of parenting in this way that you do less of that and you just have this sort of, you know, quieter, less frantic style Mm -hmm. of parenting and more just sort of spending quality time together. So maybe choosing not to do quite so many activities and instead focusing on just some quiet time together as a family, you know, Mm -hmm. without the TV on, without rushing around, um, just listening to music, reading books. You know, just being mm-hmm. together. And finding communities and friends that also value that. Right. And people you can really open up to and connect with and, you know, not take it a little bit beyond just sort of, um, you know, small talk, chit-chat, and more into mm-hmm. um, just connecting, mm-hmm. sort of being together in this connected, wholehearted kind of way. Yeah. Um, without getting into politics and other, <laughs> at least that's the Danish, the yeah. Danish model. So. Yeah, we don't need to water those seeds. Yeah. Right, right. Good. Well, thank you, Diana, for joining me in this cultural exploration. I really uh, yeah. think it's pretty interesting stuff. And I, I know I, for one, really am hoping to 
learn something from this that I can put into practice in my own life to just kind of take yeah. a few of these moments to just sort of savor quality time and cozy in. Yeah, cozy in. I'd love to um, to check in with you maybe the next time we talk about how we're practicing Hoga. So, um, that would be great. Lots of um, new ideas and creative ways to do that. Thank you so much for bringing all this information, and um, it's good to see you, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock today. We really hope you enjoyed it. Our music is by John Goo and Susie Stevens. We'd love it if you would write a review of this podcast on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. And please visit us on our webpage for additional information and resources. You can find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.